We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Big Screen Sports is presented by Indochino. Folks, it's Christmas picture season coming up, and you're fighting for a lot of real estate on people's fridges. If you just show up wearing a floppy button-down and some jeans and boots, you're not going to be dead center on that fridge. You're probably going to be on the side or, you know, you, you might even not make the cut. You might just go stuffed in a drawer. So get yourself something nice to wear to your family Christmas pictures. Pick up a suit from Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. It makes suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. No floppy button-downs. Indochino's process is simple. You choose your fabric, pick your customization, submit your measurements, and your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout. Plus, shipping's free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Blue Wire. Yo, Brink, what's up? Now you're gonna do that at the Invitational or save for the championship? Say, you know what, Val? I don't think you skate so good anymore, man. I don't know, maybe you should back both competitions. Nah, I'd have to get back all the cool stuff. Ooh, sponsored skaters. Big deal. It is a big deal. Team X plays rules. Everybody knows that. Speaking of which, we got a photo shoot we're trying to do here. Mind getting lost? Mind if I kick your butt? Wait. We had to pit first. You know how it is. Yeah, but we have it now. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Happy DCOM December! It is our first Disney Channel original movie, which we are covering all December, just in time for Disney Plus to drop. Starting off with Brink. It's a classic. It's got Eric Von Detten, the Disney golden boy in it, and I thought it was a great movie to start out with. I had fellow Blue Wire podcast host Meredith Kane on. We had a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, it is definitely has aged interestingly, but I think as far as DCOMs go, still a still a fun movie to watch. It wasn't a slog. Uh, unlike some of the ones we're covering. 
Uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of DCOM December, though. We're covering Johnny Tsunami, Luck of the Irish, Double Teamed, and, of course, High School Musical. You can check in on when those episodes are dropping with our, our Twitter or Instagram accounts. Twitter, that's at big underscore screen sport. Instagram at big screen sports pod. Uh, if you've got one you're specifically looking forward to, let me know on Twitter by hashtagging DCOM December or Instagram. Um, should be a uh, should be a good month of content. Uh, these these movies, as far as a, a sports podcast that, that focuses on realism, not a whole lot of it with DCOM movies, but they're fun to talk to. We're going to hit every aspect. So, uh, you know, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you enjoyed DCOM December, or you check out any of the past episodes, which are pretty evergreen, make sure you're subscribed. And if you haven't yet, please leave a five-star rating and a review. I'll read all new reviews when I get them. I really appreciate every time one of those comes in. They really do help the podcast grow. So take the quick amount of time, scroll down to your podcast app, tap that review. It's going to really help things out here. Uh, with that, I think it is time to finally begin DCOM December and talk Brink with Meredith Kane. All right, joining me tonight, she is the co-host of That's What B Said and also a producer of multiple pods on the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network, Meredith Kane. Meredith, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm I'm excited that we're finally recording this after multiple days of internet troubles. I'm I am so ready to talk Brink. I know. Well, we've been talking about this for weeks on top of that too. Like we've both been chomping at the bit to talk about this movie. So I'm I'm stoked. Me too, me too. But before we talk about Brink, uh plug that's what B said. Uh where can the folks find that and what other pods are you doing on the Blue Wire Network? Um, sure. So that's what B said is a Cleveland sports podcast. So we cover everything from the Browns, Indians, Cavs, uh, Ohio State, and national storylines when they're relevant. Uh, it's myself, Brittany Mollis, and Brianna Rust. Um, and it's actually brand new. We just started it a few weeks ago. So uh, if you want to check us out, we're on Spotify. Um, iTunes. Why did I forget iTunes? <laughs> We're on that, Spotify, that one iTunes. place where everyone listens to their podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're on uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere where you can get podcasts. And then uh, I do produce a handful of podcasts right on the Blue Wire Network, uh, including this one. Uh, so I'm producing for you uh, the Chase Down, which is a Cavaliers podcast, Candlestick Chronicles, which is a 49ers podcast. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, goalposts for jumpers they're a premier league podcast which i believe you did a crossover episode with them a few weeks ago we so, did yeah we recorded yeah. on the movie mean machine oh yeah that's right and then i forget what it is one of one of the guys said something that just made me lose my shit and i couldn't stop laughing it was such a great episode but yeah just lending a hand to uh, all the pods uh, across the blue wire network and then attempting to uh produce and be a partial host on my own with uh that's what b said well you are here to help me usher in decom december we're doing a disney channel original yes. movie december we're starting with a classic we're starting with brink brink is the 1998 disney channel original inline skating movie 
It stars Disney Channel original movie Goat, Eric Von Detten. He stars as Andy Brink Brinker, a high school inline skater who joins a group of sponsored aggressive inline skaters to earn money to help his troubled family. The film is considered a modern and loosely based adaption adaption of Mary Mapes Dodge's 1865 novel Hans Brinker or the Silver Skates, something I have not read because it was released in 1865. Oh, but I'm totally going to read it, though. Like, I did not know that this movie was based on a book, uh, which, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because I feel like most Disney movies are either based on a true story or based on some kind of previous work, either a book or a song or something. So I... I don't know. I might, I'll have to check back and we can report back in a follow-up episode. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. The whole like Disney Channel original movie, like a lot of these are not original ideas. Like they're based on on something, which is kind of funny. But um, we're, we're, doing, we're doing DCOM. Meredith, what makes a good DCOM sports movie? So I think just what makes a good sports movie in general from the Disney drum or the Disney genre is um, just how well it stands up. And I, I call it like the quote unquote cheese factor, because when you have movies that are geared towards kids or they're on Disney Channel, so you expect the age range to probably be, you know, between eight and 14, you're going to get these movies that are kind of campy. Uh, the storylines aren't particularly deep. Um, you know, it's not very sophisticated humor, but if it's something that an adult can enjoy, if it's, uh, something that kind of holds up, uh, I think that's one of the things that makes it a good Disney movie. And then on top of that, there's going to be a huge, um, like, like I said, the cheese factor. So if you've got these actors that can kind of make the cheesiness, uh, endearing, and lovable, I think that's going to make it good as well, because you kind of sometimes you get these actors that are just so over the top or they're just so poorly portrayed in what character they're doing. And you're just sitting there thinking like, OK, I know that the dialogue is goofy. I know that, you know, you're an adult in a children's movie, but you have to be believable. So I think that's just what it comes down to with making a good just Disney movie. And then I think that bodes especially well for the Disney Channel original movies. So I think I already know the answer to this, but how big a DCOM fan are you? Have you seen them all? Have you seen a few? Seen just one? So it was funny because when you uh, you posed this question to me a while ago, and I was like, I'm not really a huge Disney fan. I wouldn't consider myself a huge Disney fan because it's not like I've been, I haven't been to Disney World since I was like 10. Um, I don't really buy Disney merchandise. I do go and see the Marvel movies uh, in theaters. But other than that, I was like, no, I'm not really that big of a Disney movie uh, or a Disney fan. And then I looked up a list of all of the Disney Channel original movies. And I would say from like 1998 to 2006, which I would consider the golden era of Disney Channel original movies, I've probably seen all of them. And I was like, OK, wait a minute. May not be the huge Disney fan, but I'm definitely like I'm definitely down with the decom. Yeah, you're the perfect person to to start off decom December because I'll admit I've only I've seen a few. Um, I have not seen all the decom movies. I'll be watching a couple of these movies in December for the first time. I'll be a first time High School Musical viewer. Uh, we've got oh, that I one. I have in a not seen weeks. High School Musical. Yeah, yeah we're I, doing breaking that one down a couple weeks with my guy Mike Schubert. But as far as Brink goes, is this a Hall of Fame All Star starter or bench warmer decom movie? Um, honestly, I think it's got to be 
Hall of Fame because it, it's up there because it kicks off the uh, the sports genre for DCOMs. And also it's the third Disney Channel original movie ever released. Like there were I think there were two total in 1998 and then there was one released in 1997. So it's the third of its kind in terms of the DCOM. And it's the first of its kind in the quote unquote feel good sports genre, which is what it was listed under in Disney Plus. Yeah, I think this is the movie that you think of when you think of DCOM. Like, I think it's the premier DCOM movie. I, cause I, like, I didn't even, I, I, High School Musical is technically a DCOM movie and it's wildly successful and spawned three sequels and, and starred the future most handsome man in the, in the universe, Zach Efron. But it's not like, it's, I think for me, it's like Brink and I, I don't want to, I don't want to take the, take the reins from other podcasts, but it's stuff like you think of DCOM, it's like Brink, Johnny Tsunami, um, stuff like that, movies like that. So th- this one is definitely a, uh, a Hall of Famer in my book. And before we start start breaking it down, because there's a lot, I really have, I have two opening questions. There's really, there's no trivia about this movie. Uh, was this movie the peak for rollerblading? Because this comes, this movie comes out like right before, I think like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater hits and like the the new like the second skateboarding boom starts was this the peak for rollerblading or inline skating you know what i didn't think about that but honestly it really is so it was 1998 so i was probably about 10 years old and i remember when i was in elementary school now granted i grew up outside of washington dc not california where skating was the most popular but i remember there was like a group of cool kids Uh, At my elementary school, they were like sixth graders when I was a fourth grader or something like that. And every single one of them were inline skaters and they would inline to school every day and they would do the little things where they would like jump off the rails and then they would get in trouble and then the teacher would turn their back and they'd start doing it again. And I'm like, it's so strange to me to think that that kind of thing happened in um, a suburb of Washington, D.C. when that's not really what you associate skating with. Like when you think skating, you think California. But yeah, I think it just like it capitalized on this at the time popular minor sport, especially one that that Tony Hawk kind of brought to the forefront, even though he was a skateboarder that also brought in like the BMX and in the inline on top of that. So I think it was like a perfectly timed decom movie for for when it was released. Yeah. And it and and rollerblading never never again like had the hype that skateboarding or even like bmx did in terms of like the x games and stuff like this movie came out in 98 tony hawk landed the 900 in the summer of uh 99 then tony hawk's pro skater came out and skateboarding became the cool thing and rollerblading got got left in uh left in the dust so at least we got brink at at least we have a premiere inline skating movie i also have one more question before we get going uh and this this is movie specific. The legality of the X Blades paying underage kids without like parental waivers or anything. Like he was just the guy was just shelling out money. And I, I yes. don't want to step on least authentic, but like I I wanted to address that right away. That the whole premise, the entire thing of the X Blades being this team is uh it seems very illegal to me. Yes. So I when when I was going through my most authentic and least authentic, that was number one on my least authentic list, because you can't sign a contract as a minor. If you're under 18, 
the contracts are null and void. So I'm sitting there thinking like, and I think they tried to like sneak that in like, oh yeah, welcome to the team. Oh wait, are your parents okay with it? Yeah, cool. Okay. Like, let me give you $200 a week plus $200 for every competition you win. Like that's a boatload of money. I don't care what age you are. That's a lot of damn money. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Is it? I mean, and it's 98. That's 98 money. I know. Like even like 2019, I, I would be happy if any job would pay me, you know, $200 a week to have fun. Like, hey, do something you enjoy. Like go to the gym every day, get paid $200 a week for it. Like, yes, sign do, me up. Do a podcast, make $200 a week from it. Like that sounds awesome. Oh God, if if only Kyle, if only. If only let's uh let's get into best scene. Uh, so I've got, I'm going to list the, the best scenes. You let me know if I miss anything. I've got the race okay. at school, the one where, uh, where Boomer blows out his knee. I've got the X-Blades okay. tryouts where Brink really airs it out, shows what he could do. Uh, the, the Brink's day montage, the one where he starts early, uh, song give by the suicide machines is super nineties and it's playing during that thing, which is good. Uh, the Inventational, where uh, where Brink wins it for the X-Blades and then Gabriella comes and pushes his ass down. Uh, the Downhill Race that, that Gabriella wipes out on. Uh, Brink's dad's pep talk. And then uh, the final final race between Brink and Val. Did I miss any of your favorites? Uh, those are a lot of really good candidates, but I still think to this day... Um, and I've even of all of the scenes that I've watched, uh, I would definitely say the X gate or excuse me, the X blades tryout is by far in a way my favorite scene ever. And then I do also like the opening scene of the movie because you're kind of introduced to I would say the opening scene at the pit because you're just kind of introduced to every character that you're going to see. So you've got uh, your soul skaters in the pit and then you've got Val that kind of comes up and it's funny because he he initially says oh yeah those are my friends and you don't really realize immediately that there's huge amounts of contention between Val and Brink and he's just like oh yeah no those guys are my friends I can ask them to leave and instead of asking them to leave he just he tricks them into leaving the pit which is another thing and I forgot to put that in my notes for um for least authentic it's almost like if you're sitting in a in a first come, like if you're sitting at a Starbucks or something and you get up to go to the bathroom and you come back and somebody's in your seat, they're like, Oh, sorry, you left. Like, that's kind of what that felt like. Yeah. I find it very odd that the pit can just be controlled by like one group at a time. <coughs> I didn't, I didn't see that kind of lining up like, Hey, these, these four inline skaters, these four teenage inline skaters are skating here right now. No one else, no one else. They've got it until they leave. Like, that's kind of weird. And then, uh, and then Brink tries to get the skateboarders to to kick Val's ass, which is which is <laughs> an mean, escalation. Just, we'll we'll talk about Brink's so kind of dickish tendencies. Um, I like the X Blade tryouts as well. Uh, I also like the um, I also like the Inventational because I like I like Brink when he shows up with his look, which is super nineties. We'll talk about that. The the glasses on, he wins it, but then. Um, Gabriella just all about that action, just shoving his ass down right away. Really enjoyed that. Oh yeah, I I love Gabriella. She just like she takes no shit from anybody uh, in that entire movie, and you got you've got to love that about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she probably the toughest person in the movie. If we're uh, oh, I don't I don't want to step on the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award too much, but but she's tough. Let's get right into the most authentic and least authentic Meredith. Uh, this is obviously, you know, it's kind of a caveat with, with DCOM, you know, it's, it's not going to be 
a lot of times there's not going to be something super sports authentic. It's going to be more cheesy. So this doesn't have to be something that was sports specific like it is with a normal episode of this podcast. What did you have as just the most authentic or realistic part of this film? So I have a lot of things, actually, uh, both sports and non-sports. So I'll start with the non-sports. I think one of the most realistic parts of the movie is, uh, you know, Brink going after the money um, because it's easily one of those things that just fits so well with his character in wanting to be the good guy always. Um, Well, except when he tries to get Val beat up, but that's another story. But he overhears his parents struggling for money and he knows that he can take something that he's not only good at, but something that he loves and make money off of it. So for him to go and do that, that felt very uh, believable, although not the actual deal itself. But another thing, and this was something really interesting, and it took me a minute to kind of uh, realize this. But one of the things that I do love is that there's no redemption arc for Val. Like he's a bad guy throughout the entire movie. You're, you know, you're predispositioned to hate him throughout the entire movie because he's a jerk. He's always quote like to quote the movie. He's always giving Brink beef, which <laughs> love it. So 90s. But yeah, so he's always messing with Brink. He's always kind of pushing his friends around. He's always goading him in, into doing these things. And then at the very end, he cheats and he tries to push Brink over and he was dumb enough to do it where there were video cameras. So everyone sees it. And you would expect in a Disney movie for the villain to, or, or the bad guy, at least for a decom to kind of come around and realize that they're wrong. And, you know, Hey, let me shake your hand. I'm so sorry. And then Brink would, you know, this is, you know, the way it would play out in my head. And then Brink would kind of give him this look. You'd think for a second, he wasn't going to forgive him. And then they extend their hand, shake, they're good. That yeah, it'd be does like not the end happen. of Karate Kid. Exactly. That does not happen. Val just gets booed out of this championship. He gets booed out of the, the skate park and he just he sulks off and he storms away. And so I just feel like because I feel like that's so believable because you're not always going to have people who um, get better in real life. You know, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you work with someone or how nice you are to a person, they might always be an asshole. And that's kind of Val throughout this entire movie. He doesn't really do anything at any point that's of a redeeming quality and he has no redemption arc at the end. So I felt that was weirdly believable for him. Yeah. Um, I've got an authentic thing that kind of plays off you, like it being about the money, like Brink wanting to help his his family out with the money. It's also authentic that and realistic that a 16-year-old kid wouldn't be vulnerable with his friends or his family and kind of let them know what he was thinking. Because like, if he had heard this thing with his family, his family needs money, and then Val comes talking shit about the X-Blades tryouts, and they're all like, oh, we're soul skaters, we don't skate for the money, blah, blah, blah. If Brink would have straight up been honest with them, be like, "Hey guys, guess what? My family's really struggling. I, you know, I could really use that X Blades money." Like they, especially, uh, especially Peter, who like worshipped Brink, like they would have, they would have understood if he would have come out before he went to those X Blades tryouts and was just like, "Hey guys, you know, really need this money. You know, my my family's hurting." They would have come around, but it's like the most teenage thing ever to not be vulnerable in front of your friends. So I thought that was really authentic. Yeah. So I want to get into a sports thing that was also, in my opinion, super authentic. Um, And it was just kind of like the talent level 
of the skaters themselves. So you find out in one of your top scenes where Brink's dad uh, ha- sits down and has a talk with him that Brink has been skating since he was four years old. And he's very clearly the best skater out of the soul skaters. And he's very clearly one of the better skaters when he was on Team X-Blades. So the fact that, you know, they, they kind of, that timeline kind of matches up where you've got this kid who put on his first pair of skates at age four and he just loves it to death. And he's so good at it. Like that was really believable. And then I also just like both Eric Von Detten and Sam Horgan, who played Val, looked like they knew how to skate. Um, And then you want to talk about movie trivia. So in our first attempt to record this podcast, we'll pull back the curtain a little bit. You know, we had a little bit of recording issues and had to reschedule. But while we were having these recording issues, I started stalking Sam Horrigan on uh, on Instagram and I found him and I followed him because I was like, hey, what's what's this guy up to? And um, he he posted about Brink because and he said something to the effect of uh, Brink must be on Disney Plus because I'm getting all of these requests. But in the millennial stalker fashion, I went and Googled to see what he was up to. And turns out the actual person, the actual actor himself was a professional skater at the age of 15. So really? that was, so you yes. did my job for me and got the trivia. I did. Well, I mean, I, I also produced this podcast, so it's just natural for me to go through and look up things like that. That's just what I do. But yeah, so he was a professional skater at 18. And so the character Val always looked very comfortable on skates. And then another thing that I loved was Eric Von Detten himself looked very comfortable on skates um, because there were several scenes where it was very clear that a stunt double was not being used. And it was Eric Von Denton on his skates and he just, he looked like he had been doing that forever. It wasn't like um, Ice Princess, which I don't know if that was a decom or if it was just a Disney movie, but it had Michelle Trachtenberg who like learned to skate and can compete at the Olympic level in like less than a year or something like that. And even though she, the actress trained on ice skates for that role, she never really looked fully comfortable on ice skates. But then when you go to Brink, both Eric Von Denton and Sam Horrigan looked like they knew how to skate. So for me, like that just in general made things feel more authentic just in the movie as a whole. Yeah, none of the skating action in this movie looks bad, which if you told me like, if I hadn't seen it before and you told me, hey, there was this old, this 98 Disney Channel original movie that was inline skating, you would think right away that all the skating action looks super cheesy. But it actually looks good. They do a good job cutting to the stunt doubles. And like you said, the scenes where Val and Von Detner on their skates, they look comfortable. Um, yeah, that that was really that was really authentic. The the sports specific thing I have is kind of that. It's that the the skaters themselves look good. There's good skating action. Um, the only other thing that I, I noted as being like truly very realistic and authentic is uh, the toughest part about parenting is understanding your kids. And shouts to my guy. Uh, <laughs> Shouts to Brink's dad, uh, R- Ralph Brinker, I think. Um, yes, I he, believe uh, that was his name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shouts to Ralph, because uh, it's tough. And when your kid's coming back from school and he's skating and you don't understand that and he's using all this slang and and words like dope and whatever, every single slang word they could fit in, they did. Uh, I, I felt for the guy. That's uh, it, it, t- tough sledding. He, he's a baby boomer. Uh, tr- trying to raise a, an inline skater that's tough business. So I, I really respect him for that. So can we also talk about how ahead of its time the dialogue was? Like the very, very much. first A lot scene. of that has come yes. back. Yeah. So like Eric Von Denton like runs, runs in the kitchen before school. What up, fam? And I'm like, I yes, see that every I'm day. Yes, I'm so glad I'm you cool. noted that. I wrote that down too. 
<laughs> he says, what up, fam? He calls things dope. And I'm like, that's the, like, I mean, at the time, I remember in the 90s, like, a lot of, like, the 70s stuff was coming back. So people, like, there was, like, tie-dye and peace signs and people were saying groovy or whatever. Um, I mean, I tried to black out those parts of my childhood. But I'm almost wondering, like, are we coming full circle again with this dialogue and this fashion? Because I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm kind of ready for baggy clothes to come back. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm not a big person. But I I, I don't mind wearing baggy clothes once in a while. But just women's clothes just don't come baggy. It's not a thing. We're gonna talk about the fits. But I am not ready for baggy clothes to come back. They've tried to cram in every bit of skating slang that they could in this movie uh to almost a detriment like it was almost a bit too cheesy but yeah a lot of it has actually aged well like people will will still say some of this stuff like that but what was we we already talked about x-blades being the the whole concept of paying these kids being least authentic did you have anything else that was so notable that it was not realistic or authentic in this movie yeah. Oh my God. I have so many things that were not authentic, which is kind of funny because well, I let's, absolutely... let's pick your best Oof. or your worst. I, absolutely, I, guess. I know I absolutely love this movie and I still love this movie. So the fact that I have so many things that are so unrealistic is um, a little ironic. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of mic problems here. Uh, it only lasted for about a minute, but basically Meredith went on to say that it is very, very unlikely that uh, Peter would try and land a trick in competition that he never landed once in practice. And Peter had very little confidence. So there, there's yeah, only so he, much is... that Brink gassing you up can do to, to help yeah. you land that trick. And then another thing that I found really unrealistic was, uh, well, first off, uh, when Gabby wipes out on the downhill race with Brink, they make this big deal of like, oh, my God, she could have died. And I was like, it was gravel. She tripped like she could. I mean, and she was wearing fully protected gear. And so the only like so she had some skin that got taken off of her arm. But I was like, there's no way she was, quote unquote, gonna die or she couldn't have died. So that part kind of annoyed me. But then that was four days before a competition. And she comes back looking completely fresh, having no practice for four days and being bedridden in an accident that everyone that that Brink claims could have killed her. Like there's no way she would have been that fresh in. I feel like she should have at least broken a wrist. Yeah. Like she's going downhill. She's got a lot of speed. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no way that she would have been able to come into a competition, uh, having had that bad of a fall four days later. So to me, that was super realistic as well. Yeah. I've got unrealistic. um, Yeah. Unrealistic. There we go. For unrealistic, I've got the the demonization of being a sponsored skater or being paid to skate. Because in retrospect, I think that's more of like the dream. Um, I'm I'm gonna throw back to one of the best movies that I've seen this year, mid '90s, the the Jonah Hill directed movie, which is fantastic. It's set in '94, and it's about a group of youth skateboarders. But the the top two of them kind of share the dream of being a pro. They idolize these pros. And that's that's a theme in other skateboarding or like extreme sport movies. Um, Lords of Dogtown, Grind. Like for most of these most of these characters in these movies, the goal is to get signed, to get paid to skate all day and get your own gear and stuff like that. And just like 
the demon, you know, the the soul. Oh, we skate for fun, man. Like, no, shut up. It would be you guys would be <laughs> pumped if someone came up to you and was like, "Hey, here's two hundred dollars a week." Like, shut up. You're not turning like them them thinking of that as selling out. Like, no, that that's the dream, and that's what these people will work toward. Like, I get that there is a different mentality in extreme sports than it is like a you know baseball or football or something where it's like oh, i gotta get drafted i need to you know whatever like you're uh, there's more like playing for money i get that it is a i don't know like a, a more pure kind of experience i guess in in your sport and it's viewed a little differently but being a sponsored skater is still fucking sweet so there's no there's no way like the soul skaters were, they were a bunch of boners. Like they were, they were, they were just, so dumb. Yeah. So, they were, they suck. Yeah. Well, it feels like, so this movie was definitely marketed to who you would have expected to have Disney channel, uh, which is, you know, a kid whose parents had money because, um, I remember when I was younger, we didn't have Disney channel. Like, I don't think it got added to, um, our cable package. I think my parents like upgraded or something. And then we suddenly had Disney channel, but I didn't have it for the longest time. And it was, it felt like only the like rich kids with the big screen TVs had Disney channel. So I feel like that's kind of who this movie is marketed to, because those are the kids that would never have to worry about money. That those were the kids that could say, Oh yeah, I'm going to draw for fun or I'm going to play my flute for fun or whatever they do. It's only for fun. And they would never accept money for it because they don't have to. So I feel like that's kind of who this movie is aimed at is the type of kid that grew up never needing money. And it was the type of kid who grew up never knowing what it was like, not like, like not understanding when your parents couldn't pay bills and so the funny thing I is it's marketed to kids from. like that but the main characters are not like that like gabby lives with her immigrant mother in a like a small house and apartment like she could have they could have used that money like there's yeah. a different version of this movie where it's them trying to help their families out like it's a like a good immigrant <laughs> story or something like there's a there's a more realistic version of this movie that could have been made, but yeah, you're right. It it was very much marketed to the suburban kid who didn't have to worry about money, and therefore this idealism of skating for fun is is great. You know, is oh. is what they're really going for. Um, let's also, take a I quick have, break. Have... Let's. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was about to say I have one more unrealistic thing that I've got to get out because it. Oh, get it me. out. Get it out. So you actually had this in one of your best scenes and it was Brink's um, montage of when he was skating for X-Blades, trying to be a soul skater and working at the dog groomer. That scene was so first off, it only happened once. You only see him doing that for one day. And it was so unrealistic, I think, because if you look at the timestamps, he wakes up at seven o'clock, which isn't horribly early at all. And he's home by like nine o'clock, which isn't horribly late. He's doing homework and yeah, he falls asleep, but like he's in bed before midnight. And I'll go back to my days of diving. There would be days where I would have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to get to the pool and I would have practice before school and then I would have to shower, go to school, and then I would have after school activities and then I would have another practice after that. There were days where I didn't even get home from practice until 11 or 1130 at night. And this was without a job. 
And I wouldn't even start my homework until almost midnight sometimes. And so the fact that he was up at seven and in bed by 1130 and this only happened once, I was like, come on, dude, you can do better. Like, you're like, I remember what it was like to be that age and being completely overworked, especially overworked with a sport. So I was just like, that just, I don't know, that that just felt kind of lame to me. I don't think Brink had very long shifts at Pub and Suds. I think it was a very, very short shifted job. Let's uh let's take a quick break here from our sponsors and then get back to everything we enjoyed about this movie. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Harry's. Don't panic, but it's almost time to be done with your Christmas shopping. You think you've got a little bit of time, but around the 15th, 16th, everyone starts to panic and you just, you know, you end up you end up giving bad gifts. You need a great gift for someone in your life. You know, don't guys always get like cliche socks or wallets or ties. You know how many ties I have versus how many ties I wear? The ratio stinks. Harry's is a gift that is both thoughtful and practical. Listeners of Big Screen Sports can get $5 off any Harry shape set by heading to harrys.com slash bluewire. Free shipping ends December 16th, so you need to act now. Um, I have the Harry Shave set. I love it. I love the Harry Shaving Cream. I was using kind of a shave butter from someone else that was, it was okay. I am using this Harry Shave Cream and Harry Shave Cream only. It does a great job for my face. The uh, Harry Shave Gift is a great gift for guys. It's a great deal for you and the person you're giving it to. Holiday sets start at just $20. That's within Secret Santa limits, White Elephant limits, whatever. Uh, Harry's Blade Refills are as low as $2 each. So the recipient's going to save money over time, and it comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box. You don't even have to wrap this thing. And your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. As a special offer to fans of big screen sports, we've partnered with Harry's to give $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry shaving set comes with a weighted handle with option to engrave, five-blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, and packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by ShipStation. The holiday rush is here, and you have to be able to ship out orders quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders, decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered on time for the holidays. We've all bought from an online seller that has a miserable time getting our products to us. You do not want to be that online seller. Get yourself a five-star review by using ShipStation. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. It's no wonder that ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code, BLUE, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE, like Blue Wire Podcast. That's ShipStation.com, and our offer code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Now back to the podcast. Meredith, let's get to what worked with this uh, with this movie. I, I feel like there's a lot. This is a Hall of Fame decom movie. It's not the most realistic thing I've ever seen, but it's it's super enjoyable. I have one thing though that I don't know if it if it were it works more now and just like humor, but uh, they. Um, 
the uh, the guy in X Blades, they call him Beach. Beach is now slang for. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I'm kind of like. Oh, I know what you're. I know where you're going. Just say it. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I was. I, I was seven in 1998, so I wouldn't have picked up on that, and I wouldn't have known if that was if if Beach was was slang for blowjob in 1998, <laughs> but it, it sure is now. And that's uh, oh God, that was yeah. funny to me. I enjoyed it every time they were like, "Hey, Beach!" Like, like cool, <laughs> cool skater. You know Beach. I didn't even pick up on that. I don't know why. Maybe I was like so furiously taking notes on everything else. It didn't dawn on me that that guy's name was Beach. It was like there's this old show I can't remember. I think it was like in the, an '80s show where like one of the characters was named Boner, and I was like, "How did they get away with that?" Yeah, shouts, uh, shouts to my guy Beach. But um, what <laughs> what else apparently. what else worked for you with this movie? What else did you enjoy? Um, so one of the things that I really liked was how Peter was always sticking up for Gabby, and it never felt uh, disingenuous. Like it was always just him being inclusive of her. Uh, I guess when they were like, you know, the fastest skater when he or she, you know, he kept kind of like putting that in, and that happened a few times throughout the movie. And so I loved that for two reasons because it didn't because it worked. Like, I don't know how the actor pulled it off. And I'm blanking on his name. He was, you know, he and Eric Von Detten were like a bonded pair on that the Disney Patrick Channel in the Lewis. 90s. Yes. So just like the way he did it was just so genuine and it just didn't feel forced and it just fit and it didn't take away from the movie at all. Because sometimes when that kind of dialogue gets pushed in there, like it feels forced and it can take you out of it. And it wasn't. So I loved that. Um about did him. they get and together then, at the end of the movie? Did I miss that I or no? Miss, no, they didn't. But see, that was actually my next point on that is that one of the things that I also get really annoyed with in Disney is that any like male, female platonic friendship or what you think is platonic winds up being romantic in the end. And I'm like, God, it doesn't always happen like that. Like, I feel like that's why nowadays it's so hard for like single straight men to be friends with single straight women because we've had this like ingrained in our brains that oh if you're a you know if you're a straight male and a straight female and you're single you guys are gonna like get together and get married like no it's okay to just be friends like just because you have a male and a female who are friends doesn't mean they're gonna get together and so it just never there were no romantic undertones to any time that peter stuck up for gabby and i love that shouts to when harry met sally yes like hey like look at this you have like a healthy platonic relationship between what you assume as a straight male and what you assume as a straight female. So I like, I loved that. And then just talk about the things that I love about Gabby about uh, in the, the race that they have at school where she kind of gets a, a head start by flirting with her competition. Like I loved that too, because flirting that was beach. just so, yes, it was just, it was just so subtle. She like did it. And then he got so thrown off by it. And I was like, God, I, I absolutely, I, I love that too. Um, so, yeah, they were just like I, and I think that goes back to what I was saying about what makes a good uh, decom sports movie is when the actors feel genuine in their characters, knowing that the dialogue is going to be a little bit cheesy. The action is going to be a little bit campy, but they find a way to make it believable and endearing. And I just want to give shouts across the board to every every one of the actors, because I don't feel like any of the actors or actresses in you know, in this movie were like, were not genuine. And I think that's one of the reasons why I still love this movie as an adult. 
And an actor I especially want to give shouts to is is the previously mentioned Sam Horgan. Val is an excellent movie villain. And I like what so the the point you made about him not getting his redemption arc, which is really good because he makes he continually he gets shittier and shittier as the movie goes on, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. And, yeah, and Brink really does. does some questionable things to him, like some things that probably deserve Brink maybe getting punched. But Val is a huge dickhead. Uh, he does hit Gabby with the go back to Mexico insult, which that, that has unfortunately only... aged well. Yeah, that like, was that the is one something line that in the movie that say. I just, oh, I cringed at that. I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, that just, that's a little racist. So that was like, well, that, it's something that a dialogue. shitty person would say in 2019 as well. So that's yeah. actually aged well. Yeah, well, there you go. I guess that's true. So I also think that like one of the reasons why Sam Horrigan uh, makes such a good movie villain is like he well, he's got the look. And also, I'm going to take a little bit of umbrage with Disney always making the good guys blonde and the bad guys brunette because I have very dark hair. So I guess in the Disney world, I'd be a bad guy, too. But Sam Horrigan, uh, not so much nowadays, but in that movie, he had like Adam Gase eyes like his he had crazy eyes, man. Like you like you would look in his face and be like, okay, this kid's a psychopath. Like you don't know what he's going to do, which he actually proved several times throughout the movie. Um, you know, especially with putting gravel down to, uh, uh, to trip Gabby up in that downhill and then to essentially take Eric Von Detten down in these finals. Um, you know, like he just like, it, it matched. He got his, he got his psychopath Adam Gase crazy eyes and the personality to go with it. The throwing gravel in the downhill race is kind of like that moment going back to Karate Kid. It's kind of like that moment when Johnny Lawrence and his boys force uh, Daniel LaRusso off the road and, and like down that hill and he wrecks and like they put him in legitimate physical danger. And that's the point where a villain takes a turn from just being like a dickhead to, okay, this guy is legitimately a borderline sociopath. He's violent. He, we need to see this guy get got, we need to see some, something bad happen to him. And Val definitely hits that point. He is he is probably a top, I would guess, top three decom villain. Yeah, and I don't think he was in any other Disney Channel movie after that. And I'm kind of sad about that because I was like, you know what? I would have liked to see a little bit more of, of Sam Horrigan because um, like as a kid, I mean, Eric Von Denton was my you know number one crush as a kid. Like, I'm not even kidding. I had a picture of that guy in, in my locker in middle school. Um, I don't know if I should admit that or not because it's a little embarrassing, but man, like I, I want to say Eric Von Denton may have been my very first uh, just celebrity crush in general. But going back, you're like looking at, you know, both Val and Brink and I don't want to like feel like weird and cougarish and like predatory, but I'm like, they're both really, really good looking dudes. Um so it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know where I was going with that, but I was just like, I just have to get that out. Even with the Adam Gase crazy eyes, like Val was still, you know, he's a good looking dude. I mean, EVD is one of the things that worked for this movie. He's really good. He's really charismatic. The character of Brink is kind of cheesy. Um, he's a little too, he's very rah-rah, cheerful, optimistic. He kind of reminded me of a, more innocent version of Vinny Chase from Entourage. Like, hey, it's all going to be good, guys. Like, everything's great. Uh, it it kind of like that, but but Eric Von Denton is very charismatic. There's a reason that he was, that, that Disney was pimping him so hard in the in the late 90s. 
Uh, he's one of the things that worked in this movie. He's really good. Yeah, I mean, I guess his uh, pump-up speeches were so good that he could get Peter to throw an inverted 540 in competition when he didn't even, you know, land a 540 in <laughs> in practice. I mean, I want to... Like, I mean, I want to step on Eric worst athlete. Oh, worst Can athlete? I step on um, worst athlete for a second? Because not only did EVD's speeches pump up Peter to do that 540, but they somehow made Jordy a good skater. And like, not to, I'm not here to body shame, but Asher Gold, who played Jordy, did not have the figure of a guy who seemed like he'd be a solid inline skater. He looked more kind of like a, like a guard. So I will refute that because when I go back to my elementary school days and you had this group of cool kids who all skated to school, there was a guy who had, who looked like Jordy. Uh, like he was kind of, you know, he, he was a little on the heavier side, didn't look particularly athletic. And actually, he was on dive team with me, too. And it was a very like Chris Farley situation. So if you remember, like Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live when he did the that Chippendale skit. Yeah. And it was so surprising. And everyone's like, oh, my God, this fat guy's actually athletic. I knew a guy like that. He was an inline skater at my school. And he was also on dive team with me when I did when I started diving in my community pool. Like, I mean, obviously, he didn't make it at the the high school level or um or the US level the way I did but he was still like a solid quality diver on my community team so I know that you like you can look at Jordy and be like oh well you know he's not you know physically fit like the rest of those guys but I will refute that uh that a guy with that body shape can be athletic because I have like legitimately seen it in real life well apologies to Asher Gold as as Jordy then I, I know I am, I'm, I am, I am pulling that take you, back. Jordy. I am, I am standing up that for you, Jordy. Back. Did you yes, have anything well, actually, else that you wanted to note that worked? Um, so I actually had some questions because I know that we're sort of going through of things that don't may or may not make sense throughout the movie. Um, so one of the things that I didn't really understand was uh, in the championship race when uh, Brink is going against Val in that downhill so Val, I guess, goes over the barrels of hay, pretends to be hurt, gets Brink to help him up, and then he pulls him down and he's like, ha ha, you never had the brains to finish a race. And then he just takes off. But then Brink chases after him and then goes off course. Like he takes a shortcut and catches up with Val that way. Like how was he not penalized for going off court? Yeah, that seems like cheating. Yes, right? So it's like, so Val cheated in kind of a dirty way. Brink also cheated. So I don't understand. Like, that was one of the parts that I just couldn't wrap my head around of like, okay, this kid goes off course. How is he not penalized for it? Because if you look at, say, like a runner who's doing a marathon or, you know, even as as little as a five or a 10K, like if you go off course, like your chip's not going to register and you're not going to get proper time. And if you don't get a proper time, then it doesn't, you know, you don't get scored at the end. So I, that's that was a part where I was just like, wait, wait a second. Like, I know that Brink is supposed to win this race because it's Disney and the good guy always wins. But it just never really it, that was one part that that I just still can't get over was the fact that he went off course and pretty much cheated. And it was all hunky dory at the end. I would have just loved to have seen some character development in Brink in the terms of like Val goes off into the straw and he's down and Brink like pulls up next to him and he's like, hey, you okay? And Val's like, uh, yeah. And Brink's like, all right, later, bitch. And he just takes off and he wins. 
Like, yeah, don't. That would have been. That, Val's that been not the guy that you stop in the middle of your race for. Like, Brink should have known that was coming. So yeah, I, well, I just I, I would have also... loved to have seen him kind of. I mean, it's totally Disney. Disney would have never done that, but I would have loved to have seen Brink just leave his ass there. But yeah, so that would be the part where you would think would be the start of, of a redemption arc for Val because he'd be like, oh, well, you know, you sacrificed your race for me. You sacrificed your race for Boomer. You did this, this and this. You know, you tried to warn Gabby about staying on the outside of the turn instead of the inside. You know, like instead of Val looking back at all of the points where Eric Von Detten could have or Brink could have completely screwed him over and didn't. And say like, hey, man, we got to, you know, make amends. It was just, nope, you're stopping to help me and I'm going to take advantage of it. And then I'm going to try and shove you down and push you and tackle you. And then at the end, I'm going to storm off. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that did not lead to that redemption arc for Val. Though. I think I think like you said earlier, I think it's one, one of the best parts about the movie. Can we pick the wildest fit or hairstyle choice in this movie? Oh, God. Yeah, let's go for it. I've got four nominees, uh, and you might have more. I tried to narrow it down because you could. I try not to be too nitpicky because you could have picked almost everything. Um, Eric Von Denton's hair, Brink's hair, it's iconic. If there was a, a Hall of Fame of of decom, it would be in there, like a, a wig of that hair. Uh, Val's hair, also iconic, like incredible Super flow, floppy. very poofy in nineties. Uh, um, so of that's what pants, I have. Yeah, well, that's what I had under my notes uh, for the wildest fit is just floppy hair. There's just floppy hair in this movie. There's a ton of it. Uh, Brink's pants, which you you said earlier, you were hoping that baggy pants would come back. Brink's pants all look like if he caught a solid gust of air, they would he would take off. It was very <laughs> 90s. They were all very baggy. And then Worm, the the guy in X Blades, his spiked hair and earrings combo. Yes. Oh my god, that is like yeah. If you go to like any like teen teen comedy from the '90s or even the early 2000s, like that, I think this is also a little bit of Brink being ahead of its. Yeah, Mark McGrath was just coming on the scene, I think, when uh, when Brink came out. EVD's hair as the as the be- just the the top fit. It's just an iconic decom look. I mean, you think of decom, you think of Eric Von Detten, you think of that those blonde locks. Meredith, let's get into what didn't work, because I, th- I think we've got our work cut out for us. I think there's plenty of uh, things. Like, right, right, my first note, Brink might be too positive. Yeah, well, also what was kind of funny, and you can answer this question better because you're a parent and I'm not, but in the first scene with the entire family and Brink is all excited to go to school and the dad is like, oh, he's too upbeat. Like, wouldn't you want your kid to be like happy all the time and to be upbeat and to be positive. Like I can't imagine a parent would like look at their happy kid and be like, Oh, how did I raise such a happy kid? I know you're making a very good point because yeah, Ralph is very down on, on Brinks being happy about going to school. And I was kind of thinking about it the other day, like right now my kid is very happy when he goes to school and I'm like, Oh, that's going to be a bummer when that enthusiasm fades away. Cause like with that, probably, you know, the enthusiasm for learning fades away. So yeah, you're right. Ralph is kind of a bummer in that regard. I get that it is, 
it is tough to relate with your your teenage child. I'm sure it's very difficult. I'm not looking forward to it at all. But it's also <laughs> like you gotta you gotta take the good you gotta take the good with the bad. Like, hey, this kid actually wants to go to school. You're not gonna have a problem with him skipping school. Like, sure, he gets suspended later that day, but he was enthusiastic to enthusiastic to go. Yeah. Oh, and he came down really, really hard on him. And like, so another thing that I found kind of weird about um, Ralph is that it felt like he it felt like he was coming down on Brink the way a parent with a problematic child would come down. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're in trouble again. But you'd think someone like Brink comes off as, uh, you know, well-behaved easy, down to earth, always happy. Like he doesn't seem like the type of kid that's always getting in trouble. So the fact that Ralph came down so hard on him on that suspension, it's like, damn, like you act like this kid gets suspended every single day. Well, let's talk about him getting suspended too. Uh, How did the teachers not know that race was going on until they were fetched because of Boomer's injury? Like the t- whichever teacher was in charge of, of observing lunch be like wow all the students are not in the courtyard or whatever i wonder where they all went i mean did did you go to public school i mean i did but even even the public school teachers were not that unobservant i mean cuz it was yeah, like I mean, every kid remember, in the school but... went to go watch went to go watch that race yeah, I mean, honestly, I well, yeah, I guess it's right, because now that I think back on it, like we did have like teachers and stuff in the lunchroom. I don't know. I guess I just like <laughs> just assume that. I mean, I know not all public school is bad. I I went to public school and I turned out OK. But um, yeah, I now that I think about it, it didn't even dawn on me that um, these teachers would uh, not even notice that there was a relay inline race going on in the courtyard. And also was, uh, Brink the only one that got suspended for that? Because I feel like that would be a situation where everyone would, would get suspended. There's just a lot of weird things going on in that school in general. Like the soul skaters have a bunch of classes together. How does that work out? Uh, Val can just walk into their cooking class Oh, yeah, which that, is, that is kind of he just like walks in to punk Brink. Yeah, because a teacher would be like, hey, you, this isn't your class. You don't belong here. Yeah, I mean, shouts to the all time best cooking class scene ever in Superbad when McLovin rolls into to uh, Seth and Evan's cooking class. But the teacher tells him to get out. Oh, that yeah, doesn't yeah, happen okay. in Brink. Yes. So one of the things that I did want to point out for things that didn't work um, and this is on on the sports side that's more sports related is why were the soul skaters never practicing like the only time they ever practiced was when Brink was there. But when Brink was either late from work or absent because he was hiding out with Team X-Blades, they were just sitting around waiting for him. And I was like, well, no wonder you guys suck. No wonder you can't throw an inverted 540 because you're not practicing. Yeah, they'd only have a session when he told them to go have a session. Yeah. And so that's just like one of those things of like, wait a second. Like if I mean, I guess maybe that goes along with the oh, we're just doing it for fun. So maybe they're not super motivated to get better. But if they're going to an invitational or if they're going to a championship, which, by the way, we do have to talk about that championship at some point. But like if you want to get better, which seemed like their goal, why were you not practicing? Yeah, I, I've, I mean, I'm very out on the soul skaters, honestly. Individually, they're all fine. As a unit, not great. 
I, I don't not, no killer instinct in those soul skaters. I have a question I mean, that they, you they might be able fun, to answer. Kyle. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I wasn't having fun watching them. I wanted to see <laughs> them get money. I wanted to see them end up as the new X Blades or like the new like getting paid for it. That so I wanted to see like them a, have some like D- have some killer instinct. So almost like a D three kind of thing where the uh, JV beats the varsity team and all of a sudden they're the varsity team. Exactly, exactly. That's what I would have. I would have rather seen. I've got a question that you might be able to answer as a woman. Okay. Uh, why is Gab Gabby's mom letting Brink into her sleeping daughter's room? That was weird to me. Uh, you know, I didn't even think about that, but I guess maybe she was okay with it because you saw for a second, like the mom was like standing in the doorway. So she was kind of supervising it. Um, and I guess maybe like Brink comes off as a not creepy guy. Um, I can't remember. I don't think my parents ever let me have a boy in my room at any point growing up at all. Um, you know, even when like the my next door neighbor, when he would come over to do homework because we had all the same classes, like we'd have to stay in the kitchen. So, um, yeah, that felt a little unrealistic. But I think the part that made it OK and I think the part the reason why it didn't really register on my radar uh, upon rewatching it is because the mom was kind of standing there. And she was watching. And then when Gabby wakes up and starts giving Brink shit, then the mom kind of like slinks off into the shadows. That's fair. That's fair. I just I, I needed you to address that for me. What else did you have okay. that didn't work with this one? Um. So uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but Gabby, when she fell on the downhill portion, the reason I don't think that worked was because I have taken worse falls than that and you know live to tell about it uh i i thought the dialogue of oh you could have killed her was a little over the top um and then you know she falls on the gravel and then she just keeps rolling 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 down the hill and i understand momentum but i was like okay that feels a little fake and then she's just kind of sitting there i don't know if she had you know got concussed or what if she was passed out but she's just like laying there so um I was a triathlete a few years ago, and in one of my triathlons, uh, what my brakes on my bike collapsed, like my front brake got faulty in like mile two of a six mile bike ride. And I went flying over the handlebars, probably a similar fall that Gabby took. And you know what? I got my ass up and I finished that goddamn race. And I found out later when I went to the doctor that I actually dislocated my elbow. So I don't know, maybe it's just from personal experience that I was like, wait a second, like, your fall was way over dramatic. You're like, I don't know. Maybe she was on a lot of painkillers because of a lot of skin that she lost. But I don't know. I just I felt like that that whole fall, just the whole fall and everything surrounding it was just way too over dramatic for me. See, you're much tougher than me because I saw that and I was like, oh goddamn, that looks painful. Like, oh. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I thought I, don't know. I thought she would have broken a wrist at least. Yeah, well, didn't she have wrist wrist guards on? That is because I feel like that that is possibly the case. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'd have to like rewatch it again just to make sure. But that was one thing they did wear a lot of protective equipment. Um, yeah, I need, need to check blading. the tape. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't you dare. Don't you dare <laughs> pull that with me. I've got um, I've got one of the biggest like. I don't know. This didn't work. This was just very unrealistic. When uh, after the race, when when Val has been found out as a, as a cheater, 
um, and just kind of a scummy dude. Uh, his buddy Worm goes up to Brink and he's like, I didn't know Val would do something like that. Uh, yeah, oh you God. did. Like, you've been around yes. this guy forever. You know that he would do something scummy like that. Like, you've probably helped him do scummy things like that. You saw him throw the uh, Peter's shoes on the, the line or whatever. Like, you knew exactly who Val was. It's like, yeah, there, there's no way they wouldn't. Yeah, so that was kind of like when it comes back to Val not having a redemption arc. Like, you've got these minor characters that do. And so I think that's probably why we're both, like, kind of turned off by that. Because we loved the fact that Val is a shithead and stays a shithead. And then all of a sudden his little cronies are like, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't yeah, know. Yeah, it's, like it's like everyone who testifies against Donald Trump. They're like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize he was that bad. Like, oh, you, you did, though. Yeah, you, you, you definitely did. Yeah, um, I also so I have one more. Uh, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say another thing that I thought was just I didn't think worked because I mean, and I think like as a kid, it didn't really register with me because you know I was carefree and didn't understand that things cost money. But I don't know how Brink was able to go to his friends with brand new skates for all of them, brand new equipment, and be like, oh, like poppin' suds. Or whatever the name of that dog rumor was, like, that's our new sponsor. And it's like, you can't just, like, as a, you know, part-time employee, probably making $5 an hour, say, like, okay, this is, like, that's something that, you know, the store manager would have to okay on. And then, like, I had a pair, like, and I probably still have that pair of blades uh, when I was a kid because I wanted to be one of the cool kids. So I convinced my parents to get me a pair of inline skates. And then I just never, I could never figure them out. Um, so I think they're probably still sitting in my childhood bedroom somewhere, but they were expensive. I mean, in, in the nineties, I think they were well over a hundred dollars. So I don't know how a 16 year old with a job that he works probably one hour a week could afford to get all of his friends, new, uh, new blades, new helmets. I mean, the t-shirts were probably expensive too. And he was like, Oh yeah, it's going to be four months worth of like, how are you getting paid in advance? Like, yeah, and none, how, none like there's no sense. way that Puppin' Suds is can even be convinced that he's going to be working for them in four months. Like, he's a teenager. Teenagers quit their job, like, every three weeks. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, another thing about money and jobs is Brink's first day of post-grad is going to suck because he's going to he's gonna roll into his cubicle. It's going to be... It's going to be, like, 2002. The dot-com bubble is going to be, like, fresh off bursting, and he's going to be, like... Man, it was uh, it was real tight when I could get paid for skating. I wish I would have done more about that because yeah, now, I, now I have to now I have to plug in data in a cubicle, and uh, I realize work actually sucks. So I probably should have actually pursued that skating for money thing. Yeah, and I guess for someone who uh, works in the literal playground of life, that's what me and one of my colleagues uh, calls our job because I work in sports radio full time, and so. For me, it's like I love sports and I love talking about sports and I somehow made a career out of it. Like I wouldn't have it any other way. And, you know, if you went to me at age 14, be like, hey, like you love hockey, you love football. Someday you're going to get paid to talk about it. I'd be like, hell yeah, dude. Like, let's go. So, yeah, I just. Yeah, he's he's not break. I just don't. Yeah, I know, because they turned it down at the end of the movie. Like, why would you do that? Like. This like sleazy ass dude Jeremy is saying, Val's out, you're in, you're the it kid. And then he probably had that opportunity in that moment to say, uh, I will only go with you if you take my soul skaters with me, even though my soul skaters really aren't that great. 
like they can get better. I mean, and I also don't understand how X, Team X Blades didn't have a coach and why Val was the one running um, the auditions for it. But I mean, that's another 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 topic for another time. You know why you have you know um, I guess maybe because he's the captain, but. I don't know. I feel like that's what Brink should have done because at one point Gabby was even like, hey, we could have all used the money, you know, like you're not alone in needing money. So it's like, okay, so this so sleazy Jeremy comes up to you at the end of the movie and says, okay, you're it. And then that's your opportunity to say only if you take my soul skaters with me. And then they all could be living happily ever after being like Tony Hawk and like 40 and still getting royalties off of video games. Well, speaking of sleazy Jeremy. Or uh, Sleazy Jimmy. Is it Jimmy or oh, Jeremy? Oh, was it Jimmy? I, I thought think it was Jimmy. Jeremy. I think it's was Jimmy. It? I thought it was but Jeremy. Let, I don't know. Let's get into the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. There's Jeffrey Blake as Jimmy, who also plays uh, Jenny's shitty boyfriend in Forrest Gump, the one with the Black Panther party that Forrest fucks up real good. Oh, uh, my God. I don't even... Yeah, I haven't seen Forrest guy. Gump in so long. Yeah. Uh, Walter Emanuel Jones is Boomer. Do you know his other notable role? No, but he looks familiar. He's the Black Power Ranger. <gasps> oh my God, you're right. Oh shit. I like I, I would the entire time I'm looking because I am so bad with names in case you couldn't tell from me like messing up every character's name so far. But I'm excellent with faces. Like I'll see a face and I'll be like, oh, I know who that is. But for the life of me, I couldn't tell you what your name is. That's how I felt what? with him the entire movie. Like, you know who he is, but you just couldn't put your finger on it. Yeah, when I saw him, I knew it right off the bat. I'd watched enough Power Rangers in my day. Um, there was Christina <laughs> Christina Vidal as, as Gabby, uh, Patrick Lewis as Peter, who just worships Brink, and Sam Horgan as Val. I am giving it to Christina Vidal as Gabby. I think she's the strongest character in the movie. Oh, easily. Like I have so many reasons for uh, for Gabby being the best supporting character because uh, she's the only one who can really stand up to Brink. She's the only one who really stands up to Val and, you know, she, she knows when to work it and when not to, like, especially like I, I mentioned it before that little school race where she goes, Oh, you're quiet. I like that in a man. And then just like takes off. And I'm like, yes, like I loved that moment. Like, I don't know, maybe just because like, it, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or what, but that, that moment was, it was perfect. So I absolutely give it to Gabby for best supporting character. Yeah, it would have been cool if she kicked the shit out of Val at the end of the movie. We, we can't <laughs> oh, all, kind of we can't like all a, have what we want. Kind of pull like a Hermione Granger and just like punching Malfoy in the face kind of thing. Exactly. Would have loved. Icing on the cake. You, you love to see it. Yes. Um, so normally my favorite favorite category we do on this podcast with sports movies is the big chill, which is the moment that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. This is DCOM. We're going with the big cheese. Cheesiest moment in the movie. Uh... There were so I, I've many. got four. I've got four. Uh, okay. that I, I tried to. It, it was tough. Yeah, there there are so many. Um, it was it was the line. I for, I I didn't write. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Gabby said it. It was something. Today I'm gonna talk, or today I'm gonna skate. Uh, <laughs> the music yes. choice in the finale. Uh, the song is "Apology" by Clarissa. It is so cheesy. It is not the song you want in an intense competition uh really cheesy really bad not great and then um the when team pup and suds is is huddled up and they say skating is what we do it's not who we are hated that hated all of it so another thing that i kind of hated too um 
was the fact that they got into second place by somebody else messing up so badly. Like you always hate to be in that position of waiting for someone else to mess up. Like you shouldn't be in that position. You should be the people, you should be the one that people are chasing rather than, than the one crossing your fingers and hoping that somebody messes up. Um, and then I don't know if this counts as cheesy or not, but, uh, in the championship, when Brink goes through, I guess, what was it? The street style or the, the street skate. And there, uh, the announcer's like, you know, he's an unknown skater. And I was like, well, no, cause he was on X blades for a little bit. And he's like, but he's going to use the course creatively. Well, if he was an unknown skater, how do you know that he's going to use the course creatively? And then he does one thing different where he goes over the back of the half pipe. And I'm like, okay, that was like one thing, like show me more creativity Brink. So I think, of and I love the skating scenes and I love um all of Brink's skating skating scenes but that whole thing was just it was a little annoying to be like oh well we don't know him but we know he's gonna use the course creatively and then he does one thing. Yeah, I'm kind of curious how you get the gig as the inline skating commentator at that uh at that competition. Uh, the one thing I will say it is not a big chill moment. Nothing in this movie gave me the chills. But Brink's dad, Ralph Brinker's pep talk is actually pretty good. That That is not a terrible scene. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. And I guess it was just um, and I and I guess the part that I kind of liked about it. And like I said, I'm not a parent, so I don't I don't really know. But, you know, sometimes it takes humbling yourself to really, you know, be able to talk to a person, because when you ha- when you are a parent, you're just you're like, I know more than my kid. I gave them life. I've had the life experiences. I brought them up from like they're like they would have died if I didn't take care of them as an infant, you know? And so it takes a lot of humbling to kind of take a deep breath and be like, okay, let me really listen to my kid. And and he did that in that scene. So I, I would absolutely agree with you on that one. Yeah. Shouts to, uh, shouts to Ralph Brinker. Really? Actually, I, I, I should have put him for the Lenny Harris pincher award. David Graff played Ralph Brinker. Uh, love a good, love a good dad in a decom movie. Finally, let's get to how would you improve this movie? And keep in mind, this is a Hall of Fame decom movie. So while all the cheesy, unrealistic stuff we talked about, you know, it's decom. That that stuff kind of comes to the territory. With that in mind, how would you improve it? You know, I don't think that there's a lot of ways to improve it. Um, you know, there is a little bit of what I like to call explainer dialogue, which you get a lot in these uh, skill-based sports movies, whether it's, uh, ice skating, diving, um, inline skating, because the average person may not know what like an inverted 540 is. Or if you had something that was diving, like, you know, no one would necessarily know what a reverse one and a half looks like. Um, so you have this like random and, and you get it in the very beginning of the movie with Val and I guess Jimmy, who I thought was Jeremy, where he's like, oh yeah, it's, you know, two and a half twists completely upside down. Like he had to like explain to him was what an inverted 540 was because that was like a recurring theme throughout the movie. And like, I get, I mean, that doesn't really do it for me, but I guess it's just because I know a little bit more about those types of tricks from having done them in competition myself, um, as a diet, although we don't go by, like, we wouldn't call it a 540. It would be like a two and a half twist or something like that. So I don't know. I don't like the explainer dialogue, but I understand why it's necessary. Um, but I don't know, like, I don't know if there's really a lot that can be done to improve this movie because there's just, even though there's, there's so much that we talked about that doesn't work. Like it kind of does in a way, because that's kind of what you would expect out of, you know, a straight to TV Disney movie. 
I've only got two things, and I've really, I've really kind of said both of them already. Um, the music during the competition, I would have had better music. They had it was the late night. You had access to like some very like late nineties, early two thousands uh, rock, like um, like POD or Saliva, like one of those like kind of corny lumberjack I wonder if they rock songs. Get the to it, yeah, because because music rights are insanely expensive. So there's a very oh, real yeah, possibility but- that they use that song because they could get it on the cheap. Yeah, but I mean, just throw just. Just buy a different the something that style like a knockoff pod or saliva or something like that like something a little more intense and then uh, I've got Brink's learning moment should have just been leaving Val to hug his knee he should have just spit <laughs> on him and gone to the finish line and and then taken the money so actually I do have one thing that I think would have made the movie a little bit better for me and it was it comes to the championship because when they get to the championship skater or the, the skating competition, you hear the ESPN announcers saying, um, you know, this is the top 10 teams in the country. And you're sitting there being like, well, the soul skaters didn't even compete in the invitational, which they, it, which they implied was the qualifier for the championship. So how do you become a top 10 team in the country when you didn't even compete in the qualifying competition? So if there was, maybe like there was only 11 of, so, teams. Yes. In the whole country. <laughs> so if you think about, say, oh, so like Bring It On is a really good example. So you've got the um, Rancho Carne Toros who fail in competition, but they get a pass to nationals because they won nationals the year before. Like it was an unrealistic scenario, but it was just this, okay, well, here's the loophole of how you're going to fail in this qualifying competition, but still make it to the national level. But they didn't have that. So I kind of wish that they had that because it, it bothered me that you've got this championship of, oh, these are the top 10 teams in the country, you know, when they're probably in their little bubble of Southern California. And it's like, OK, so you've got team pup, pup and stuff who can't even throw basic tricks, didn't compete in an invitational, but somehow gets a spot as one of the top 10 teams in the country. Like there needed to but- be some kind of loophole explainer for how they got into the national championship. I feel like that's the case for a lot of things about this. I, I, I could have used a lot more explanation, a lot more of just laid out of the actual dynamics of what's going on. But if they had done that, would not have made it a decom movie. Uh, Meredith, thank you so much for taking the time, talking Brink with me. Where can the folks find you on social media and where can they check out your podcasts? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at MK on sports. Uh, I will warn you now it's a lot of Browns takes because I do, uh, I work in sports media and I live in Cleveland. So, um, I would love the follow. Um, I try to provide good content. It's going to be a lot of Browns content, at least for now, warning you on that one. Uh, and then the podcast, that's what B said can be found on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. Well, everyone check that out. As always, check out all the podcasts on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. If you're enjoying big screen sports, please remember to subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. If you enjoyed the first episode of DCOM December, good news. Next week, we have Double Team with comedic author Sarah Hunt. You can catch that in your feed next Monday, and we will catch you then. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, 
we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.